Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to the 24 Faithful Podcast. I'm Bradley Adams, your host, joined once again, as ever, by Joel Wood. And Joel, season eight, we've finished the episodes. We've got the overall discussion today. And I, I don't know about you, but I'm quite excited to just kind of get through season eight and put it behind us. As as newsworthy as uh, season eight was, uh, not necessarily for the right reasons. I am quite relieved that it's over. Mm. Yeah, I don't remember feeling like this in 2010. I don't remember feeling relieved that 24 was over when it ended. I was kind of upset when it ended in, in 2010 because I felt like there was more story that they could have told. Plus, I was probably still upset that we didn't see Tony, but that's beside the point. <laughs> it took one minute for you to get that in. Well... That's one minute longer than I thought it was going to take. Well, fair enough. Fair enough. So like I said, we're, we're finishing off season eight today with some general points. And to be honest, we we talked about a lot of the stuff throughout the season uh, as we went along. I was going to put in uh, that we talk about Renee, but we talked largely about her and her arc with Vladimir Leitanen and her depression and how good that was and obviously her death. I was going to talk about Jack, but we've talked at length about Jack throughout the seasons. We talked about Cole. We talked to fairly generally about Dana last week as well, as well as her relationship with Cole. We talked about Taylor's decline. We talked about a lot of things. The one thing I don't think we've talked too much about, and I think we do need to today, is Chloe and her rise through CTU and the way that she is portrayed in this season, because it's very different, I think, to the way that we've had her in previous seasons. I don't feel like it's ideal throughout much of this season. If we jump back to the beginning of the season... We did, we did briefly talk about this with introducing Dana. But it kind of, it, it felt weird to me that it, they set it up that she works at CTU because she has no choice. That Morris lost his job doing whatever it was that he was doing, I can't remember. And so, obviously, they need money for themselves and Prescott. And so, Chloe just went into CTU because she knows how to do it and, and that's the job. It's not she wants to work for CTU like it was previous. This was she was out and she had to get back in because she had no alternative. So that that doesn't really sit right with me. And then you had the the thing where she was made to seem really stupid or like she couldn't do the job at CTU New York. Like the whole thing, like kind of technology had passed her by, which we know is ridiculous. But they did that, and that was kind of their way of pointing out that Dana's really smart, rather than just highlighting that Dana's really smart on her own. So I wasn't keen on that aspect. Um, I don't know how you sit with all this. The thing with Chloe, I don't have I don't have so much of an issue with her wanting to get a wanting to get a job because Morris lost his job and you know family dynamics it happens. So that that part I don't have much of an issue with. The issue I have is they couldn't make Dana seem really smart without making Chloe look really stupid. And I think that was one of the main issues. I keep forgetting. How how long between season seven and season eight? Uh, I think it's 18 months off the top of my head. Okay. So 18 months ago in season seven, she basically made Larry Moss feel like an idiot when she went to, to the FBI and told him his computer systems were too slow. And she was like, whoever designed this? And Larry was like, I designed it. So 18 months ago, she was 
railroading the the head of the FBI because computer systems were too outdated and too slow. But somehow in 18 months, all of a sudden technology has gotten so advanced that it just completely overwhelms her. I just, I'm not buying that. Um, it's a little far-fetched for me. I've already discussed my disdain with the look of CTU in season eight uh, because it, it just, I know technology's advanced and you, everything like that, but CTU just looked too Hollywood in season eight. It looked too, it lost a lot of the grittiness that it used to have. Even, even in, you know, when it came back from Live Another Day and they went to the CIA uh, substation, when you look at it, you still got that grittiness, that dark, the, the lighting, the darkness, the grittiness of the, of the CIA headquarters. You didn't get that in season eight. It just felt too, it felt too Hollywood for me. Like, you know, the, the, the touch screens and, you know, I'm, I consider myself very techno, you know, technologically savvy, I will say, but I just didn't like the feel of it. And the fact that in 18 months, Chloe went from this super intelligent person who was too smart for the FBI's hardware, the FBI, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, like the, <laughs> the top fed, the top the federal agency in the country. And she's too smart for the computer systems. But 18 months later, technology has gotten so advanced that it just overwhelms her. I just felt like that was too big of a stretch for me. And the fact that they belittle, belittled her throughout the first couple of episodes with Hastings just made me feel like you didn't have to tear Chloe down to build data up. Yeah, there's a lot of it early on where she feels like unwanted. She's unwanted staff. No one, no one, I don't think anyone dislikes her, but they just think she's not very good, which is obviously the opposite of what we know from Chloe. I mean, even in season three, we took, we said that we didn't like her in season three, but one thing was very clear that she's very, very good. And yeah, I mean, to your point on the look of the CTU, there is, there is an element whereby CTU Los Angeles, both in the original design where we obviously we met chloe that that first three seasons and then the one that kind of becomes it it, is sort of familiar if you think of ctu and you think of 24 you think of that layout that that blue open fairly open plan but really quite slick um design it's really nice and then you you go from that to the fbi office which feels just like an office you know it just feels like it could be any office building in the world and then this in CTU New York in season eight, which is very far advanced, very, um, you know, it's one of those things where you look at it and think, does do buildings like this really exist? It's like, really? You, you, come on. I mean, I could understand that, you know, maybe they needed to advance their computers because the, the computers in CTU in season six wouldn't really make sense to be using them in 2010 because they just looked old and outdated. But you can put the new computers in the same spot and still have the grittiness of CTU. Like take CTU in season six. 
and take all the computers that you see in the in CTU and replace them with the computers that you see in season eight. It wouldn't make that much of a difference. It would, you could have that and still have the grittiness that made CTU famous. Because one of the things that I loved every season of CTU, when I saw CTU was the feel of it. Not just the layout, because the layout, the layout was different pretty much every season as far as the placement and how it was laid out and everything like that. But just the overall feel and vibe that I got of CTU kind of made me feel like, even during the bad seasons, the overall feel of CTU made me feel like, okay, this is the CTU that I, that I knew and loved. I was upset when they went away from CTU to the FBI in season seven because the FBI just did not have that same feel. I mean, it's like you said, it looked like any other ordinary office building in the world. There was no, there was no discernible features that, that made it feel like in FBI headquarters. So when, when I first found out that CTU was making a return in season eight, um, before the season aired, obviously, I was excited because, you know, CTU was coming back. And then I saw how it looked. <laughs> yeah. And it kind of it kind of took my enjoyment out of it a little bit because it just it it looked like a Hollywood movie production. And that is not what people like about CTU. Yeah, like I said, it, it's it's one of those where you look at it and do wonder whether buildings like this actually exist. Um, or certainly I do. And and to my point about Chloe, all that I was gonna make was that where you said about season seven how she sort of towered over her intelligence over larry moss and obviously janet and everyone else that that kind of ties in with the fact that it just looks like a building you know that chloe is so advanced this is she's in an she's in an environment that visually looks like it's nothing and ctu is where she's at home and then this new CTU is kind of like well yeah i feel like when you look when you look at season seven and you look at Janice, you see you see how intelligent Janice is through the first, I don't know, what what episode did Chloe come in to the FBI? Like it was toward the uh, end of the season. That's a very good question. I think um, it was around uh no, I'll tell you when it was. It was exactly it was uh, episode ten, I think. Episode ten? Okay. So it was around the middle of the season. And you see how smart Janice is, like, especially when they're when she's battling Chloe, trying to hack into her system, but she doesn't know it. Janice seems so smart and intelligent through those first nine episodes. And then Chloe gets there and she feels like she's new to the system because Chloe is so advanced and so knowledgeable of the system. Like she knows, she knows the advances in the system before everybody else does. So you would, you would venture to think that during the 18 months that between season seven and season eight, that she just didn't forget everything just because she didn't have a job. Um, you would venture to think that she probably kept up on these technological advances if any had happened in those 18 months. So that's why it's far-fetched for me to think that at the beginning of season eight, the CTU's 
systems and computers and, and technology is just so far advanced. You know, let's, we're in, we're in 2010 here, okay? This is not 2040, all right? It's, 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 technology had not advanced that much in 18 months. So it just, it just felt like, I understand they wanted to establish Dana. I understand that, but they could have established her differently. They could have had, they could have had Chloe be the one that trained her, which would have made it a little bit more personal when Dana was found out to be the mole. It could have been personal for Chloe. They could have tied that story together. That way you can build Dana up without making Chloe look like an idiot. But they obviously didn't go that route. And they tried, they tried to make it look like Chloe was a, like Dana was a tutor to Chloe in the first few episodes. And I thought that that just made absolutely no sense whatsoever. Mm. Nobody should be, should be tutoring Chloe on how to work, on how to work a system. No, okay, that's that. just like. <laughs> it's the thing that makes it even stranger, right? Is that after the first couple of hours or the first hour and a half where she made like she's never seen a computer before, and then all of the good stuff that ZTU do after that comes through her, as it always does. But it's it's so striking that she's made to look so incompetent at the start, and then like she's the one that finds Davros, and she's the one that sees through the Meredith Reed thing, and she's the one who's the technical support for the Renee mission, and then when CTU gets hit by the EMP, she's the one who goes to Frank Hainem and stands up for what she knows is going to work and fixes the whole system and gets CTU back online, right? That's And that's that's wonderful. I love that side of Chloe. It's, the, it's, am, it's, am, it's amazing that she basically goes from completely novice, like she's never seen a computer before, and then like three hours later, all of a sudden, she's the one running the system. Well, yeah, and this was going to be my next point that her de like her debrief with Renee is so good. Her threatening Ren Frank Hainem is one of the great Chloe scenes. But then, from all this, from starting the day at four p.m., thinking that Chloe's sort of lost her mojo and she doesn't know what to do anymore, by half past eight a.m. the next day, she's running CTU, and you think, okay, you know, this is clearly the correct outcome in terms of if you give me two, if you give me binary choices of, right, is Chloe going to be incompetent or is she going to run CTU? Obviously the thing I'm going to believe most is it's going to run CTU. But then even that doesn't work for me because I feel like Chloe is at her best when she's helping Jack and she's seeing through the mistakes that the director's making or that the, whoever's making that's senior above her. And she's doing the right thing. She's tracing the lead. She's the one finding the information. She's the one finding the people that they need to go after. And that rapport that she has with Jack is, is so wonderful. That's why we love Chloe. And so when you put her in this situation, and, and she is in this situation where she has to choose between helping Jack, her, her go-to, that is the default Chloe setting in 24, is to help Jack in no matter what. She even like she invokes that at the start of the season when he won't help her, and then we come to this point where the president wants Jack locked down, not seeing Dana, and she helps set a trap for him to capture him to stop him getting Dana, rather than actually giving him the location of Dana, which we all know that if she wasn't running things, she would have done. And yeah, she ends up being a bit more loyal. She she ends up being loyal to Jack, and 
trying to help take down the conspiracy and obviously sort of sort of does but i feel like this is a fairly average version of chloe even at what you would describe as her best or what they're trying to do as her best and, and her most powerful in this season right at the end it it doesn't feel like chloe is doesn't suit it you know tony was good as director jack was well jack was okay as director i guess um you know mason and Chappelle and whatever like and, and bill and michelle all these characters that particularly tony and michelle who you know as um analysts on the floor and and, and not being quite that senior they actually embodied it really nicely but chloe really doesn't and so yeah i'm i there, there are really great parts to Chloe in this season. Really great parts. But I, I feel like they missed the target a lot with her this season. I've tried to wrestle with this uh, this issue of her running CTU. And at first, I was kind of like you were in, uh, in thinking. And then I started to think back. It's kind of a it's kind of a good nod to Chloe's loyalty over the years uh, to make her head of CTU during its final hours. Um, I felt like that was a a good progression um, just to kind of reward her for all of her years on the show. I also think it was the fact that she's helped Jack all these years, and she always when it comes time to confront the head of CTU at the time, she always acts like it should be an easy decision for Bill or Michelle or Mason or whoever to just help Jack. Should be an easy decision, right? But then she's actually put in that chair and then she starts to realize how difficult a decision it is to help Jack in his rogue efforts. So I think that was a good way to kind of flip the script a little bit and have her realize that all of these years that she was helping Jack, she actually had it easy. Whereas the it's, it's a lot more difficult when you're in that chair and she has to confront the issue of whether she wants to help Jack or not, because it's not just it's not just her job that she's got to worry about anymore. So I thought that was an interesting dynamic, but at the end of the day, it still came it still came down to her loyalty to Jack. And at the end of the day, she still, after all of that, she still chose Jack over her job. She chose to be loyal to Jack um, against other people's better judgment. And that's something that even we, even we see in, in season nine, you know, when Adrian Cross brings up, like, why are you so loyal to him? Or, and it's, it's, it's a constant question throughout the series that Chloe is always, no matter what position she's in, what she's doing she's always going to choose to help jack mm, indeed she does and of course we see that at the end where she gives jack as much time as he can as she can to let him get away we talked about the ending and the ending scene very specifically last week 
So I don't want to do that again. I, I, I do want to talk, though, about the sort of the ending more generally. Um, and to an extent, sort of take us back to 2010. We, we mentioned it at the top of the show, but I, I want to discuss whether the whole... I guess this kind of comes into an overall discussion, which we, we'll, we'll talk about in a minute. But just generally, this season, and particularly the ending arc and the ending how satisfying it is bearing in mind you know we talk about it now and we've had live another day following this season we've had 24 legacies so we like 24 has continued to exist beyond this season and and beyond this ending but obviously may 23rd i think it was in 2010 this was this was it you know there was no there were there were sort of whisperings as there always were about oh we'll do a 24 movie and it never, obviously never happened. There was never a plan for season nine. For all intents and purposes, this is it. And I'm I just trying to remember sort of how I felt at the time and, and whether I, I felt like it was quite satisfying. I think I did. I, I do remember feeling fairly content with the ending when it first aired. I feel maybe less so now, but I'm not quite sure. You're shaking your head. I don't think you're uh, you're particularly happy. <laughs> <laughs> I was not satisfied with the ending. Why not? Because I felt it left up, it left too many. I, I mean, we discussed this at I think at the beginning of the season when we discussed the, or it may have been last week, one of the two, when we discussed the ending of the of the series, and I told you that there were just too many loose ends that were not tied up. There was no there was no final conversation with Kim. We don't know where Kim's at. Well, there were, I mean, there was. It just wasn't a final conversation as intended. And and I, I think we did talk about this last week, but that video, like that that works for me. You know, I, I don't... We've, we've I, seen, need, uh, I need the conversation between him and Kim. We've seen a lot like, of those, though. We've seen a lot of conversations that are the final goodbyes between her and him and Kim. And fair enough i will hold my hands up and say they are like among the best scenes the the one in season two that i absolutely fawn over the one in season seven which is really wonderful but those were all part of the ongoing storyline like this for all intents and purposes like you said is it so Mm. the last last seat last season last episode there's no more so i felt like they should have had a nod to the series by having kim at least for a five-minute conversation, five-minute cameo. I mean, they could, they could, they could have paid her for an extra five minutes. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but this I mean, is why I like honest. the video. This is why I like the video. I, I, I like seeing Jack in this position. I think it's again. It, we talked. I, I said about it with the Novakovic takedown, didn't I? That it, we've seen so many Jack assaults and Jack murders that actually doing something different by not showing us this one felt really refreshing. And we've seen, like I said, that the conversation on the plane and the conversation in season seven where Jack's going to die and, you know, things like as, as well, the, the one in season five when she leaves CTU after the nerve gas attack, where, where so many times we've had it where it feels like that's it. Doing it differently, having this recording where he sort of admits everything and, and leaves her this, this no, I guess, a no, almost like leaving a note. Um, and, and as well, like, I, I do really enjoy the way it feeds into the president. And the way that the impact on that story, I love that scene where Taylor breaks down watching the video. So I, I, I do see your point. I, I think, I don't think it would have been worse off for having a scene between Jack and Kim. 
an actual goodbye scene where they say whatever to each other rather than just Jack talking to Kim and then never speaking to her again, presumably, actually having a conversation. But I'm I'm fairly satisfied with how it was it's as, as it happened. You're not, but that's okay. No, it's not okay. Also, there's also the fact that, as I've stated, Jack Bauer was not the one that took out Charles Logan. That... <laughs> Yeah. That to that to me, that to me stings more than anything else, aside from the fact that it wasn't Tony totally I made on the show. But other than that, this stings more than anything else. I'm I'm just gonna throw out there that technically Logan is still alive, so if they do ever bring 24 back again, Jack could kill him. <laughs> well, he's in a vegetative state, so it would be kind of unfair at this point. But like I said, like even at the end, even when there's no more 24, they still couldn't bring themselves to kill Charles Logan, which just baffles me. Just kill well, him, it, guys. It, Come on. It, it, it baffles me that they, not only did they not kill Charles Logan, but, I mean, I know, you know, in the, in the book after the season, you know, Yuri supposedly, you know, served time for his crimes or whatever. But then he was instilled back as president of the Russian Federation. So it defeats the whole purpose. I didn't know that. <laughs> yes. That, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently he, apparently he was um, he was arrested for his crimes. And then at some point he was put back in power of the Russian Federation. I didn't know it until I just looked up him on, on the uh, 24 wiki. I'm going to look that up now. <laughs> so, and... So essentially, he didn't pay for his crimes at all because he's still the president. So why the fact that not only did he not kill Charles Logan, but Yuri got off basically scot-free. So basically, what did Jack actually accomplish? He didn't take down anybody. Taylor basically gave herself up, which ended everything. So Jack essentially did not accomplish anything really in season eight. And that's what bothers me because that, season eight that annoys me now. Now that I've, now that you told me about Super and I've just briefly read about it, that, that annoys me now. Like what, what, <laughs> what, how is he going away with this? I know like, you know, he, I don't wanna... he got a slap on the wrist. Oh, that's that, insane. That, that's it. He got basically a slap on the wrist and then got put back in power. So it just doesn't it it's it it, it 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 makes my head hurt because not only did you not kill Charles Logan, you didn't take down Yuri. So throughout season eight, what exactly did Jack Bauer accomplish? Like oh, what, nothing. what what did he what did he what did season eight accomplish really? Nothing. Uh, it, it I mean it destroyed the it destroyed the peace treaty and President Taylor went to prison. So Taylor that. did that. Taylor yeah. did that. Taylor did. Taylor gave herself up, which ended the peace treaty. But it's but it's because of Jack that she did it. Like I said, the video. Uh, yeah, she she watched this sentimental video and stuff like that. But she could have still signed the peace treaty. She chose not to sign the treaty, and she's the one that essentially saved Jack's life. I just felt like it made Jack look too weak. I mean, I know he went through and slaughtered like twenty five Russians or whatever, but. At the end of the day, it made him look weak because the president had to save his life. He didn't get the man he wanted, which was Charles Logan. And he didn't take down Yuri Silveroff, who was really the mastermind behind everything that happened that day. 
think it highlights the one flaw that Jack does have, which is that when he is acting on rage, he isn't very smart. And I mean, to an you know, to an extent, his takedown of the Drazens at the dock, he is fairly tactically astute. And I don't think that ever goes away. But what I'm saying when I say he's not very smart is that his plans don't tend to be very well thought out. Like, if you put him in that scenario where Kim's been killed by the Vic- Victor and Andre, and he's at the docks, and he just has his guns, and he needs to go in, and he doesn't really care about himself, and he's going to go in and just shoot them, like, kill them all. Fine. Absolutely fine. He, we know that he's so well-trained that he can do that, and his it, it's a reaction thing, isn't it? Like, his, his reflexes will be that if if someone obviously if someone shoots at him he'll get out of the way but like if if someone tries to counterflank him or something he'll know how to avoid it but when you put him in this scenario where he's over a course of what six and a half hours from renee's death up until his um his, his being shot by chloe where he's actually having to think about his next move and how he's going to get to find the next person in the chain of responsibility and then how is he going to take them down or expose them or kill them or whatever that's when he kind of gets a little bit shaky. We've seen some... I mean, Jack's plans over the years have been insane. We've said that many, many times. Like, he, he is a complete madman. So when th- this requires some strategy and some logic and some sane thinking, and I don't think Jack's capable of that, particularly when he's so seeing red as much as he is. I mean, he wanted revenge for Renee's murder. I mean, even 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 in season nine when he wanted revenge for audrey he got he got who he was looking for season eight he wanted revenge for renee's murder the man at the top of the food chain behind renee's murder was yuri suvaroff that should have been his main his main goal well second main because logan still should be at the top (laughs) but but right below logan should be yuri suvaroff and the fact that both of them did not get taken out by Jack. To this day, 11 years later, almost 11 years to the day in about another month or so. And it still bugs me to this day. It almost buzzed me, it almost buzzed me as much, almost as much <laughs> oh, no. as, as him and Tony not taking down the cabal by themselves. That is still the number one thing that buzzed me the most. But this is a close second. I think I said it before, but it's just, I think it's just the thing of making, like, it's its a line that Jack shouldn't cross, that this is, this is, this is infamy territory. But, I, you know, we disagree on that. I'm, I'm aware of that. Um, I do want to move on. I do want to move on, Joel. Bradley. <laughs> um, the one thing I do want to ask is, because um, I, I feel like, season seven and also season four to be honest would have been a better ending this season although i am still fine with this ending i don't know how you feel about that well i mean i don't know i don't know how many different ways i could tell you that i hated the ending <laughs> so i mean <laughs> i don't know how so, many so different season, ways so season seven many, and four i didn't even like the ending in season seven i told you i wanted him and tony to be the ones to take down the ball okay so we so, got so, so the we fact go back that to... he's on death's door and Tony's in prison does not sit well with me. <laughs> so we're back to my point from like five months ago that season four would have been a great ending to the show. We should have just stopped there. <laughs> Possibly. I could I could have dealt with that. I could have dealt with season five as a proper ending to the show. 
I could have dealt with season five as, the, as a proper ending to the show. You know, taking down taking down Logan and having him go to go to prison for the murder of, of David Palmer. Not even addressing the season six plot line where apparently he got pardoned. He got sent to a halfway house on a farm somewhere or wherever he was at. Ignoring that plot line. Season five would have been perfect. I would have enjoyed season five as a proper ending. Minus, minus the part where he got kidnapped by the Chinese. If you take that out, season five is a perfect ending. Having him take down Charles Logan, he meets with he meets with Audrey at the end. They embrace. They're back together again. Boom, boom, boom. Series over. That would have been perfect. My, take out the ending part where he goes through a payphone like an idiot and gets kidnapped by the Chinese. Just take that part out. Season five would have been a perfect ending because you're because you're talking because all the endings that you've talked about, Bradley, end in him either being end in him either dead or faking his death. The ending I'm suggesting would have been, you know, a nice little happily ever after, which he never gets, still hasn't gotten to this day. But that's a whole nother story for another time. Yeah, I can tell you I'm not happy about this one. But anyway, we'll move on. Um, not at all. No. <laughs> Uh, season eight overall, then uh, the way I put this in my notes is sort of comparing it to season six because this is the comparison, right? Like this is, I, I feel like we're on fairly logic, same thinking that season eight is the second weakest of the show. Season six to me felt fairly tired. Like it felt like, you know, twenty four doesn't really have a. It, it, it so often feels unstructured, but there is clearly a structure to it on a, on a wider scale. And it felt like they were trying to follow that, but also trying to top themselves in season five, of course. And it, it the, trying to follow that structure, they ended up feeling like there was a monotony to it. Like it, it just became really dull and really like, well, we're going through the same paces again. It's like walking the same route every single day forever and never changing it up. Like you, you get bored of seeing the same sights. And, and like it needed to take a break, essentially, just to reset. And obviously it did that with the writer's strike. Season eight feels for a lot of the time like they'd run out of ideas and just wanted to repeat themselves in, in various circumstances. So various plot lines feel very similar. We've talked about this when they come up. There are, there are so many lines, and season six does this as well, but there are a lot of lines in season eight that are very repetitive and, and, and callbacky to previous seasons. It, just, it feels like the steam had run out you know season seven felt reinvigorated we had issues with season seven of course we did but it, it felt like there was a rejuvenation and it felt like you know someone had, someone had a cup of coffee and they were not tired anymore like that was that was what it felt like it, it felt new it felt fresh again season eight doesn't it at pretty much any point even i mean during the final run with jack is probably the, the the best time where jack going on an absolute rampage feels different because it's not been done before. But then, you know, there are bits in there that are very similar and it, it doesn't feel that inventive at times, whereas a lot of the stuff in previous seasons has. Um, so that's my main issue, I think. Well, I, I think the issues with season six, I think, is what went a long way in influencing their decision to kind of do away with CTU for a season because they probably felt that season six was more of the same and they wanted to freshen it up in season seven. And they did. But 
when they brought when they brought it back in season eight, I said this before. The season eight was too much like season one to me. Um, as far as the parallels and the lines and and some of the similar aspects that you see from season eight to season one, I just don't think they were executed as well as they were in season one. And I think that's where the problem is because they saw, they know how well-received season one was and how beautifully executed most of that season was. And I think that they tried to recreate that magic in season eight for the final season. And it just didn't connect as well as, as it did in season one, because people, we've already seen that. People saw some of the plot lines in season eight and knew that they had seen it before. And I think that's where a lot of the disconnect came in because they tried too much to rely on the season one um, chemistry. Uh, the only problem is the only person from season one that was in season eight was Jack Bauer. So you can't you can't recreate it's you can't recreate the magic of season one with just Jack Bauer. I thought that that was one of their biggest missteps was instead of trying to go out with a bang and create this one big idea that just stretches over the course of the season, they tried to rely on past season magic and tried to incorporate those aspects into season eight in order to make it enjoyable. But the problem is, is they didn't execute them as well as they had in previous seasons. I think it doesn't help as well that when you look at, you know, we look at season seven and we talked about how there were a lot of new characters at the time. And then you still end up with Jack, Chloe, Bill, Toby. Like there's still a, a still a, a, a core that we know and love. Whereas with season eight, you've got Jack and Chloe and then the president. And then if you look around her, you know, you've got people like Ethan, you've got people like Tim Woods who are side characters. And we, you know, I, I, I like Tim, I like Ethan a lot, but they're not sort of the major players. And, and, and then you bring back Logan. But apart from that, it's all it's all very new. Everyone's new, new location, um, you know, new new country involved, new characters involved. Just just everything about it feels completely fresh from before. But that takes a lot of getting used to, I think. And yeah, I I, I don't think I, I think I went a little bit overboard on that. But then a lot of the characters they'd already killed, so it's tricky. It ain't killed Tony. Well, yeah, true. Um, I also think that um, there's an issue here where... A lot of issues. Well, yeah, there are a lot of issues, but one specifically that... I mean, season six did this as well, but season eight really tried this in, in, in a number of ways, that it wants to try to surprise its viewers every single time, and it tries too hard. And, and 24 has often... I say often. When, when 24 falls down it is usually as a result of something like this. This was the whole issue with sort of, this is why Tony and, and the, the stuff in season seven with him turning bad, this is the root of it essentially, because it all comes from that wanting of, oh, we need something surprising. We need something shocking to, to, to twist and, and make the viewers jaws drop. Like, and, th and that is Tony is a bad guy. That's where that comes from. There's nothing as significant 
like that that fails in this season. The Hassan death is the the big twist that's pulled off to perfection. Renee's death, you know, I, I've been thinking about this all week actually. That I don't think I'd ever call it a twist because it's telegraphed half an hour before. You know, you know that Pavel wants to kill her. You know that that's probably what's going to happen because it's it's dangerous to their mission. And obviously, we've come to a, a brick wall almost in the season. Something needs to reinvigorate it for the last seven eight episodes. Similarly to when Tony was revealed as the bad guy, the same sort of concept of the previous storylines done. Now what? But there are little things like particularly Dana, very much particularly Dana, but the things with the EMP and Taryn and the way that that's handled is just so bad. And Kyla being in a relationship with Taryn before that, and obviously the reveal of, of Farhad and um, Joseph turning against his father and things like this that are just that are just so tiresome and don't land. And 24 has built so much of itself on that that suspense and twist factor that you know season one when we rewatched it i was kind of taken aback actually by how often there were things that were meant to surprise me obviously they don't because i know them all but you can, i can see it i can see how if i was watching this completely new i'd be shocked at various things and how so much of it you know nina and the key card and jamie farrell and Nina being shot but actually surviving by Jack and, and the flat jacket and all of these things but they work by and large whereas with this they, they just they don't the 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 the, the trends and and the um the tropes is the word I'm looking for that they've all been used before by 24 and this is why you know this is why Hassan's death is so good because this isn't that's not a scenario we've ever seen before I don't think everything else we have and so it loses a lot of the allure it loses a lot of the, the drama and ultimately the surprise and therefore how can it work in the twist so that's that's one of my other main criticisms of this i think that they, they, they try too hard well I've, I've mentioned before that i don't mind surprises but i hate the the shock surprises i hate the surprise just for surprise sake there has to be logic there has to be something behind it and and you know <laughs> we i know we disagree on the, the nina one but like that that you can sort of see some something behind it and it's not and we'll talk about logan actually in a minute so we've got some listener comments but a lot of these twists mm -hmm. even if you can't see them coming you can kind of reflect and go oh yeah actually yeah that like that makes sense rather than just randomly plucking one out of the air well i I hated the Nina reveal, but the the execution of the post Nina reveal, um, I thought was well done. When she explained, and you started to put the pieces together, I enjoyed that. Um, I didn't like the using Nina as a convenient plot device over the next three seasons, where oh we got schematics to see to you. Oh who gave it to him? Oh it was Nina. <laughs> you know, I, I, I hated the convenient, you know, plot device when they just wanted to just pluck her into a story. But I did enjoy the the expl explanation of the reveal. There was no reasonable explanation for the Tony reveal. I mean, him trying to explain himself that, you know, he saved millions and millions of people, but now he's going to kill all of them. 
in order to get Alan Wilson. You know, it just, it made no sense, the explanation of the Tony reveal. So I will go to my grave with that thought, all right? No amount of listener comments will get me to change my mind on that thought. And then, you, so, and then you've got Dana, and you've got Dana, and she's like, oh, I did it for the money. Oh, you know, isn't it always about the money? Come on, man, come on. Yeah, you, you had to think of something else. I mean, there was, there was such a personal connection with her and Cole. And then, it's like I said, after she was revealed to be the mole, it's like, Okay, that relationship didn't exist anymore. They never, they never focused on it after that. And I thought that that was a big misstep because they had spent the previous, what, 15 episodes focusing on the relationship between Cole and Dana. And now that she's revealed to be a mole, all of a sudden they just pretend like that relationship didn't exist. So that's one of the things that I did not like. And it comes back to the surprise just for the sake of a surprise. And I felt like that was, especially with the Dana reveal, that if you want to just throw her out there as a mole, okay, fine. But you need to have a good explanation other than I just did it for the money. I mean, money was obviously going to be a factor. I mean, you're not doing it for free. But, but there has to be another ulterior motivation, um, whether it be, you know, you got screwed out of a promotion or, you know, they, Hastings, Hastings chose Chloe over you. I don't, I, I don't know. But there has to be something other than I, I just did it for the money. Obviously, money was going to be a factor because you're not going to risk your life and your freedom for free. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. So that's it. Season eight is done. Hooray. Hey. Uh, we've got some listener comments, actually. So we've got a yes, couple we here. Um, so one of them is from Half. Uh, I'm going to read some of it out. Um, he says, uh, it's strange that the two best seasons, five and seven, are followed by the two worst, six and eight. Um, six is the only one I've not rewatched. The second half of season eight does make a good recovery and somewhat makes up for the worst storyline ever, which is everything Dana related. Although Terry's amnesia is close, I'm sure you'll agree on that. Um, I do. Surprised to say that I agree with Joel in that the worst storylines are those that have nothing to do with the plot, which are usually quite short, but they did drag out the Dana stuff for over half the season and it was just painful to watch. I, I am in agreement with that. Thank you. Somebody. Finally, we have somebody that uses a common sense factor here. I never disagree with that one, to be fair. Because the the, the worst storylines are the ones that have absolutely nothing to do with the plot, which is usually reserved for Kim Bauer most seasons. <laughs> and you want to have that in this season. Because it's, it's usually reserved for Kim Bauer. Okay, most of her storylines other than season three, have nothing to do with the overall plot. Now, I like that they kind of tied her appearance in season seven together with the overall plot. So I enjoyed that because it tied into the story. But having her, you know, battle a cougar and and, and <laughs> run away, run away from run away from creepy guys in the woods, and it's it's it, it just makes no sense, you know, 
trying to trying to kidnap a kidnap a little girl to keep her away from her abusive stepfather or whatever it is. It it's no sense. It probably would be a good story on its own, you know, for another TV show, but not this one. Not not in a in not in a story about terrorists and bombs exploding <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and and terror sales. Okay. That's it's having a story about Kim running from a cougar is not compelling television to me. No. Well, I wonder if um, I wonder if Twenty Four India did it because Hash continues and says that I'm sure Bradley, being a fan, is aware of the Twenty Four copy in India with Anil Kapoor playing Jack Bauer. Uh, it was terrible in every way, unfortunately, and I never made it past the first few episodes. I think it was made just after season eight, so clearly he was inspired by being in it. Indeed, it was uh, made in. It started airing in October 2013. Uh, season one is a version of our season one. Season two then aired in 2016. It mirrors our season three, although it features some elements from season two, like the Madison storyline, which I'm not sure why they copied that across. But anyway, um, I've never seen it. I'm going to assume you probably haven't. There's also a Japanese version, which began in October of 2020. Um, again, that one resembles our season one, apparently. Um, again, I've not seen that. I don't have any particular enthusiasm to seek either of these out. That's the first time I've ever heard of anyone comment on the quality of 24 India because I don't think I've ever known anyone who's seen it. Um, so I'm I mean, if they, if they had a, if they had an English version, I'd probably check it out. But as far as I'm aware, it's all in another language, which you know I I barely speak English, so it's, <laughs> <laughs> so I definitely yeah, can't learn another language. I definitely can't learn another language, and I definitely don't know Japanese. Subtitles are good, but yeah, um, I, even though I like Enel Kapoor in 24 in our one, um, I don't think I'm particularly inspired to go and uh, to go and watch that. He doesn't come across to me as a badass character the way that Jack Bauer does. It's it's a bizarre fit, isn't it? Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't. He fits the he fits the supporting role quite well. I don't know if I can buy into him as a lead character. And I didn't. I didn't even know about the Japanese version until you just mentioned it. So. Neither, neither did I. I found it on the wiki and earlier in the week when I was making notes. Um, but anyway, I digress. Um, we also had an email from Ashkan, uh, who says, and you're you're going to enjoy this, Joe. But we're not going to spend too much time on it. Um, oh yes, Bradley, we are. No, we're not. We're going to run out of time here. <laughs> I believe Bradley said there are no hints that Logan is the mole, um, but apparently there are hints that Logan was the mole. So uh, Jack telling Lynn that he thought the people that wanted him dead in season four are also behind the nerve gas. Um, Walt Cummings committing suicide, being incredibly suspicious, similar to Jamie Farrell. Uh, Nathanson telling Jack and Henderson telling Jack as well that there are people in the government uh, behind the nerve gas. Um, Nathanson didn't want to be put in witness protection, he wanted Jack's protection. Um, and also the way they tried to make Hal Gardner look like the bad guy just before revealing Logan, exactly the same as they did to Mason in season one. Um, other than that, I completely agree with your analysis on Logan. He was never the mastermind, but rather could be easily persuaded if he thought it would help his legacy. I think this is all quite fair from Ashkan, actually. Um, there are a lot of similarities to the Nia reveal. Uh, I feel like we talked about it at the time, but like once you know it, every little hint is easier to see. I think I said that when I watch season five back, I, you know, I know season five like in the back of my hand. And so mo a lot of my notes on my personal list were sort of if Logan said something in a particular tone I'd be like oh he's kind of you know he's covering for the fact that he's actually working with whatever 
and trying to sort of see through it from that angle that I am fully aware and trying to almost overthink it. I don't know how easy it would be to spot this if you were coming to the series completely fresh. Obviously, you know, it's been 15 years since it happened for us. I, I have never known anything other than sort of 24 and, 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 and Logan's betrayal. Um, so I'm certainly not one to judge. You're obviously not one to judge either. Um, I would recommend maybe people should get a friend and just watch this, get them to watch the show that if they've never seen it before and see what they, they if they can tell and if they're surprised when Logan's revealed and whether they think there were any hints. Because I feel like that's the only fair way to do this because, like I said, it's so, it's so buried in my consciousness that Logan working is working with Henderson working and, and, and is part of that conspiracy that I just, I, I can't not see it. The, the first the first hint that you get, the first hint that I got that Logan was not a good guy was at the end of season four when David called to warn Jack that, you know, he was basically about to be assassinated. And I, I believe, I'm not sure word for word, but I believe Jack asked him if President Logan authorized it. And David said, no, he's, he did not authorize it, but he's not going to stop it or, or something like that. That was when I got my first hint that Logan was probably not a very good guy. Now, did I, did I suspect that he was on the level that we eventually found him out to be in season five? No, but that was the first hint that I got that Logan was probably not going to be a very upstanding president yeah but it's i mean it's a jump from letting walt cummings sort of like look looking the other way as walt cummings has someone kill jack bauer and solve all their problems and obviously the way that he treated palmer and sort of the incompetence of which he handled his first eight hours in office there is a big leap from that to i'm actively working to help you know a terrorist conspiracy like that, that that's a big jump um, I, I do agree, though. Like, you know, I'm not saying there are no hints. I just don't think that there's... I don't, I don't think it's particularly telegraphed. But they're there if you look for them, I think. Sure. I mean, you told me the same thing about the Nina reveal, so, you know. Yeah, but, but they are there if you look for them. <laughs> yeah. yeah but I'm, I... a fan, I'm, a, I'm a fan of the Logan reveal anyway. I just... I don't think, in either case, I don't think it's particularly easy for you to go, oh, yeah, this is going to happen. But I think it is slightly easier with Nina. It's certainly slightly easier to believe, in my opinion. I, I think I think mostly I just assume that Charles Logan was just kind of a a douchebag who kind of you know skirts the law a little bit. Um, to but I never thought that he was you know to the level that we eventually found him out to be. I just I just assumed he was just a shady politician, which is like ninety nine percent of them. Well, I was going to say, it suddenly occurred to me that every president broke the law at some stage. Wayne Palmer was the only one who didn't do it while he was president. Actually, no, Keeler. Keeler didn't do it while he was president either. Um, well, he didn't have, he didn't have <laughs> enough time. <laughs> That's a good point, because I was going to say that he's not, he, I was going to say that Charles Wagner is no John Keeler, but actually, um, Keeler's not that great. Anyway, I digress. Um, also, Ashkan says about uh, Mike Novick, how he was so clueless at the end of season five, how he did not realise that Logan was involved in something. He didn't question Jack for arresting Jack. Uh, sorry, he didn't question Logan for arresting Jack for killing Palmer. Um, Hal Gardner did, but, but Mike didn't. 
Um, I know Novik went to extreme lengths to never betray another president after what he did to David Palmer, but it made him look incompetent. I think this is a strange one. Um, this is where we're going to end, by the way. But I, I, I think there is an element of not wanting to have another Palmer situation for him, because that was, you know, that was obviously horrific. But there is that similarity where after, I can't remember what the scene was in season two, but he, does, he leaves a room with, with David and doesn't give him a, a sir or a Mr. President. And he does the same in season five with Logan after telling him he should get some rest. And Logan says, that's a piece of advice that I'm going to give, I'm going to take. He just leaves and doesn't give him that mark of respect. And you can see it concerns David. It doesn't concern Logan for whatever reason. Uh, you know, he's, he's obviously not on board with the Jack stuff. And he, he knows that something is, is up with Logan. He's very confused about it all, isn't he? But I think he should have been more suspicious, definitely. And he should have sort of stumbled upon it quicker himself rather than having Martha have to show him Aaron Pierce and all that stuff. I think it was more of a confidence issue because I think he I think he went with his gut uh, when he challenged David in uh, season two and he was wrong. So I think he was probably worried about having a repeat of that incident. Um, he was probably worried about, you know, taking another leap of faith like he did in season two and then turning out to be wrong again. So I think that may have been part of it. Um, but at the same time, you know, multiple people were telling him about Logan before he eventually did something about it. So he should have at least looked into it as opposed to just kind of brushing it off for a good portion of the season before he finally did something about it. Yeah, he should have done. And his political career ended in season five anyway, clearly, because we never see him again. So, you know... If it That's another gonna... thing. That's another thing I'm upset about, but whatever. <laughs> unlike season two, there were... Well, I was going to say, unlike season two, there, there may not have been ramifications for this one, but clearly there were. Anyway, um, that's it for season eight. That's it for the listen comments for the week. Um, we are done with the original run. That's it. We are moving on into the final. I don't want to say season because it's not really a. It's not a full season. Half season. Twelve episodes of Live Another Day. Um, the end of twenty four as we knew it. Um, we are choosing yes to ignore legacy. It's an executive decision. Yeah, it is. It is an executive decision. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, you can go to Twitter at the twenty four podcast. You can go to twenty four faithful and leave us. Uh, you can write an email. That's where. We've got these two listen feedback today from. Um, and there's also a voicemail, which you can leave at 405-771-0567. You can play that out on the podcast as well. Um, we're going to be back in a couple of weeks, actually. We're taking a couple of weeks off uh, from recording. But when we do return later in April, uh, we will be talking about Live Another Day. So do join us again then.